Um, look, as I, as I mentioned just before, uh, Matt couldn't be here this morning, so we did a last-minute preaching swap, which means I didn't have time to write a sermon on Romans 12. So we're not in Romans 12 this morning. So if you were flicking yourself there, I'm sorry, we'll be there next week. Uh, but I couldn't do that in, in um, the time I had. And so we're going to be in a different passage today. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5. So you can turn yourself there. Let me just read our passage today, or the extended passage, and then I'll pray, and then we will dive in to the message. Um, there is a tradition in, in more traditional churches, which many of you will you'll know about, but not all of you. Uh, after the reading of, of the word, the pastor says, this is the word of God. And the church, and you guys respond to that with, thanks be to God. So let's do that this morning as I, after I read. So thanks be to God. That's your part. From verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, from verse 14, and I think it should be up on the screen. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the whole world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, or there five, right? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of, of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is the word of God. God. Awesome. Well done. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage. We pray now as we come to it that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you would have us hear and what you would have us see in your word. So speak to us, work through us today, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's holidays now, school holidays. I remember growing up, having school holidays, and weren't they the best, right? Especially the summer holidays, they last forever. So much fun. But they last forever. 
and you get so bored. Can you remember just how bored you used to get as a child? At my house, we had a driveway, big, quite, quite like, like a lot of, quite a few square meters big driveway, made of kind of like ex exposed um, aggregate, like pebbles, like river pebbles. And they were like smaller than a centimeter size pebbles. And I can tell you a lot about that driveway <laughs> and where the good ones are, where the good pebbles are. There was one particular pebble on that driveway among tens of thousands of pebbles that, had, that was like, just stood out, right? It was blue, green, the rest were all like yellows and reds and blacks and gray, and lots of different colors. But there was one blue, green one. And I could, I could show you to this day where that is and be like, look, here's the best pebble on the driveway. How did I know that? Because I got bored on holidays, like real bored. I think we all know what it feels like to reach that level of boredom where you're kind of like lying upside down on the couch with your, your legs kind of dangling in the air and you're just like, what are you, like just flopping around. Um, and those, with those who are parents now with little kids understand, right? Because they have to watch it unfold in front of their eyes. We know what it is like to feel bored. But I wonder if you know, if you've felt a sense of boredom in your walk with Jesus. Do you know what it is like to be bored in your faith? Does that resonate at all with you? Like you're just going through the motions, well and truly going through the motions. Little joy in God, little purpose in life, and it just kind of spills out to the rest of your life as well. Everything is just meh. I'm sure you've all experienced something of a season of dullness when it comes to your faith, apathy when it comes to your faith. Maybe you are there right now. And if we were to think about what's, what's causing that, what is driving that sense of pure boredom with, with your faith, I think if we were to think about it and, and try to diagnose what that is, I think what we would find is that a lot of our restlessness and boredom comes from forgetting who God is, who you are, and what he has called you to in this world. We're just not paying attention to what is true, what is Deep, what is true at the deepest level. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, can I say this? God himself is at work in your life. You might be aware of one or two ways in which God is at work. God is at work in millions of ways in your life right now, and he wants to use you in this world to bring about his purposes. How, of all the things, of all the negative emotions, how, I think boredom is probably the one <laughs> which we have the least reason to feel of all the different ones. How can we be bored when the creator of the universe has promised to be with us, in us, and use us even when we are weak? We have meaning in everything we do. Verse 19 tells us in this passage that the point of your whole life, the point of this church, the point of the universe is that God is at work reconciling all things to himself in Jesus, in Christ. That's where everything is headed. And so when you and I woke up this morning, we woke up into a universe where everything is not headed just for a cosmic meltdown, you know, through the forces of entropy. Everything is headed instead towards cosmic glory as King Jesus reigns and rules and spreads his kingdom through the universe. 
This is why Jesus came. This is why he died. This is why he rose again. This is why he sent his spirit into his followers. And this is the point of your life too. Today, God wants you to stop having small thoughts about yourself. God doesn't have small thoughts about your life. And he has perfect perspective on your life. So let me just read again a few verses that we're going to be focusing on. I read the extended passage because it's so good, as you would, um, would have heard. But we're just going to be focusing on a couple of verses here in this passage from verse 18. He says this, all, thing, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So not only has he brought us in, he's then given us a gift the ministry of reconciliation, to then work out in our lives and in the world. He's got a a, a purpose for us. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. This is the good news of the gospel, right? Not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Man, those are some words in the Bible that I would never dare say if they weren't written there nice and clear. God is making his appeal through us. We are his ambassadors. He has delegated us authority and a message to this world. And so here in 2 Corinthians 5, this is what we are reading. Firstly, if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. Old has gone, the new has come. And we've been given a new purpose. The message of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation in this world. We are to live as his ambassadors in the world. Now, that is a privilege. This is the God of heaven. He's given us this incredible privilege, but it is not easy. There's going to be problems along the way. But this is something that is worthy of your life. I believe that. So today, as we think through these questions of what it means to live as an ambassador. We're going to be asking three questions. I've got them up on the board. Firstly, what is an ambassador of reconciliation? I think the ambassador is kind of the key concept in this passage and that ministry of reconciliation. Secondly, how do I become one? What qualifies me to be ambassador for Jesus himself? Because I do not feel up to that task. And finally, once I am one, what is my role? What do I do? What's an ambassador supposed to be doing? What am I as a Christian supposed to be doing in this way to represent Jesus in the world? So we're going to move through these three questions in our time, just so you know where we're going. Firstly, what even is an ambassador of reconciliation? Well, my first thought when I thought of the word ambassador was, uh, can you throw up that next picture? This guy, right? Um, George Clooney getting paid $40 million to only drink one type of coffee, right? He's an espresso man, Nespresso, right? What else is what he would say? Uh, That's the phrase. Apparently those ads have been out of print for a while. (laughs) Um, But, okay, a a corporate ambassador is not exactly what what the Bible is referring to, is it? There's something a bit more going on here. Uh, in In the first century, ambassador in the political sense was someone standing on foreign soil representing the king back home to this foreign people. So I'm representing a foreign power. I'm I'm representing the the king back home in this foreign land. That's an ambassador. Which means, Paul is saying, your life as a Christian, you are 
here to represent the king of heaven, who's back, back home, so to speak, while we are in a foreign land. That's, that's what it means to live as an ambassador of the king of heaven. So your citizenship, it's, it's elsewhere. And yet, here we are in this context among a people that don't know the king. And we are here to represent him. We're here to represent it. However, an ambassador doesn't just, doesn't just represent the king. He also bears his authority. He bears his authority. So you two have been authorized to speak on behalf of God to this world. This is what we just read. We employ you. This is the message of God that we've been given. We employ you. Right? So we've actually been given the job of imploring. That's our, that's our ministry. We employ you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. That's our message that we've been given. Be reconciled to God. If you're here and you're not a Christian, let me just like press pause on the sermon about ambassadors for a second. <laughs> Put that aside for a second. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you need to know this is the message of God to you today. This is God's own message to you. And in fact, this is God's message to you directly through me. So right now, I'm speaking God's words to you. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. That is God's deepest heart towards you. He wants you to come home. We talked about the prodigal son last week, right? He wants you to come home. He calls you, be reconciled to God. Come receive grace, receive forgiveness of sin because of what Christ has done on the cross. What's amazing here is that the King of Heaven, Jesus Christ himself, may as well be standing here saying that himself. Because right now I am speaking as his ambassador. I've been given his authority to convey his message to you. Be reconciled. Come home to the Father. At the end of the passage, you would have seen it in, in, uh, at the start of chapter 6, right? He says this. In a favorable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul's saying, it's... Today's a good day to come home. Today's a good day to be reconciled. God is saying, why wait? Today's a good day to become a child of God. Today's a good day. This is God's message to you. Come and be reconciled through the cross of Jesus. For the Christians here today, those who call this church home, who love the Lord, this is your message to the world. And you get to bear that message with his full authority. That is a privilege. That is a privilege. world has been given permission by the Lord, according to these verses, to judge us on that. That's a weighty responsibility for us. We represent God in the world. Just like when uh, George Clooney decides to drink Makona, right, instead of Nespresso. There's a scandal because, hey, you're supposed to be representing something else here. What are you doing drinking that stuff? In the same way as Christians, we implicate God when we fail to live out the gospel in our own lives. This is a weighty thing. This is a weighty thing. We have been authorized to be his ambassadors, and we bear his authority to speak in his physical absence by the power of the Spirit. But we must recognize the weight of that. Which leads us to our next point, right? 
What qualifies me to do that? What qualifies me to be an ambassador when... <laughs> I don't know about you, but, man, I feel I'm not up to that task because I know there's a million and one ways in which I don't represent the Lord perfectly. I feel that. Think with me about the Apostle Peter, his story. The Apostle Peter was great friends with Jesus. He followed Jesus for years. He walked this earth with Jesus for years. He ate with Jesus, walked with Jesus. He joked with Jesus. He was corrected on a number of occasions, as you might be aware, by Jesus. Jesus was his teacher. But Jesus was also his friend. And the night that Jesus was arrested, Peter betrayed Jesus. He betrayed him. Probably be aware of the story. Three times. He denied him, not once, but three times in one night. Let me take you to the the Gospel of Luke where we see this moment. The Gospel of Luke is the only one that I'm aware of that has this line in it. I remember translating, when I was at Bible college, translating this passage in Greek and when you're, I'm not good at Greek, so it was slow, right? And so, so instead of like reading the, the English, I'm blabouring over each word. And there's a word in this passage as I was translating it that caught me by surprise and just killed me. It just broke me. And I hadn't, I'd never seen it before. It says this, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately when he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And verse 61 says this, and the Lord turned looked at Peter. I've never seen that before. Jesus saw it happen, and he looked at Peter, and they locked eyes. Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. Jesus heard the betrayal of Peter, locked eyes with him, and Peter turned to a puddle of shame. He just melted. He went out and wept bitterly. He was broken. Why did that happen? It happened because Peter didn't just cross a moral boundary, thou shalt not lie, and Jesus saw him do the lie. No, it broke him because it was a betrayal. It was personal, deeply personal. We talked about this last week as well, right? Our sin is deeply personal to the Lord. Our sin is not just us crossing moral boundaries we should not cross. Our sin is personal betrayal to the Lord. And in this moment, more than any other moment in the life of Peter, Peter felt in his guts just how personal it was. He knew that he had broken the heart of his Savior. Peter would not get the chance to make that right before his friend hung on a cross the next day. You can imagine the grief in the next 24 hours, next 72 hours, as he was there on the day Jesus was, betray- uh, Jesus was crucified. And, their last, converse- and their, la- their last moment of connection was that locking eyes moment. You can imagine the shame. You can imagine the pain. You can imagine the depth of realisation of who he really is, having ex- fully experienced being found out as a coward. You know what happens next in the story, though, right? Jesus rises from the dead. The tomb is empty. 
And he meets with his disciples. One day, Jesus, he's standing on the shore, and he calls to his disciples who are out fishing. And he tells them, hey, guys, you're not having much luck. Uh, throw the net on the other side, see if there's anything on that side. And they do it. And then, of course, the nets are full and breaking. And everyone in the boat remembers, hey, this is, this is how we first met Jesus. He, he, this happened last time. And so they lose their minds, right? Peter jumps, jumps out. He's not trying to walk on the water this time. He's just trying to get to the, trying to get to the, um, the shore to see Jesus. He leaves, them, leaves the rest of the crew to get the fish back. He doesn't try and help out. He's just driven, I think, by the fact that he has a chance to be restored to Jesus. Jesus is on the shore. He's cooking them breakfast. I love that. And he initiates the conversation with Jesus in John 21. It says this, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. The apostle John, who's writing this, could see that. He knew Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus kept asking the question three times. Simon, do you love me? Do you, do you really love me? By the third time, Peter's a mess. He's grieved deeply. But do you see what Jesus is doing here? Peter betrayed Jesus three times. Jesus is restoring Peter by having him affirm his love three times. And much has been made over the different kind of tenses of the, verb, of the verbs themselves, I should say. Um, but here's the big idea, right? Jesus was restoring Peter after the worst of betrayals. I think it's fair to say that Peter is a different man after this moment. He's way less brash and self-confident, way more humble and aware of his own brokenness, way more aware of the grace of Jesus in his heart. We have just watched a man transformed by the grace of the Lord. He had just discovered how weak he was. He failed hard. The Lord poured out his grace where he needed it. Friends, you need to have this kind of moment with the Lord as well. Are you still full of self-confidence like Peter was? Or have you reached the depths of your need for a saviour? Have you hit that bottom place yet? Have you hit that bottom place yet? What we need more than anything else is this experience of deep, intimate, personal restoration by the Lord. This is what qualifies us as ambassadors. Not our track record of victories as if they count for anything. But our restoration in our failures. That's what qualifies us. Not the track record of our victories, but the restoration in our failures. Have you experienced this yet? 
Friends, to be a reconciler sent by the Lord, we must first be reconciled to the Lord. This is where it all starts. For you today, today might be the day, right, where you're sitting down on the beach with Jesus and he locks eyes with you and he exposes you for who you are, exposes the depth of your sin, exposes the cowardice in your heart, the apathy in your heart, and you acknowledge that to him. You don't try and hide it. You confess your sin and you receive his grace. You need that and I need that. Pay attention to this part of the story in John 20. God does not just forgive and restore him, does he? He calls him. Do you see that? He doesn't just forgive and restore him. He calls him to something bigger than himself. Peter, feed my sheep. You are to be a shepherd in the church. Feed the sheep. Guard them. Protect them. We are not just reconciled to God to get our ticket into heaven. We are reconciled to then be called into something greater than ourselves and into the kingdom of God as ambassadors for Christ in this world. And right now, he is calling you to, to something. So be reconciled and receive your calling. Christians, receive your calling. We'll finish with what does it look like What are the things we should be doing? I'm going to give us four kind of brief sketches of what this means. What does it mean when the rubber hits the road at work, at school, at university, in your favorite coffee shop, whatever it is that you do? What does this mean? Again, brief sketches. Firstly, we have been entrusted to bring the very message of God to the world. Can't miss that part. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Jesus has said he came that he might give life to the world. And we've been given the job of making sure no one misses that message. He is extending his hand of friendship to the world through his own death. So let's keep banging that drum, church, in your own lives with your own friends keep your eyes fixed on him and share the very message of jesus be reconciled to god secondly we embody the message of god we embody it we don't just say it we also live it out in our lives this is what jesus said in the sermon on the mount which i think makes this point nice and clear for us he says this you are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying your life preaches its own sermon. Your life preaches its own sermon, not in just the big decisions of life where it feels kind of obvious, like when you make a big decision to sacrifice for the Lord, It kind of feels obvious that this is preaching a sermon. But every day we have a million decisions to make in which we might be able to show the world that the Lord is, that Jesus is better, as we were just seeing, right? Every day you'll get a thousand opportunities to do this. Every time we refuse to respond in anger when someone really deserves it, we are preaching a sermon 
about who our king is. He's rich in forgiveness. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. Every time we show patience when we're frustrated, it says something about our king who is patient with us and is long, yeah, long-suffering with us. Every time we serve someone else in a way that feels so beneath us, we're preaching a sermon about our saviour who came off his, got off his throne, entered into the dust to rescue us. He washed feet. Every time we do these small things, we are ambassadors for Jesus. So as much as we kind of make fun of the WWJD bracelets, you know, and how kind of kitschy and lame they were, they, it wasn't entirely without substance, was it? What would Jesus do in a situation? Right? How would Jesus handle this crazy toddler right now or this awful client or this crazy, awful toddler client? Right? We, we, embody the message of, we embody the message of God to the world in how we deal with these things, right? Just like George Clooney and his coffee choices, right? The world is watching us. Number three, we pray. We pray. Prayer is the heartbeat of our faith and the center of our role as ambassadors. We pray for the world. We intercede for them. First Timothy 2.1 says this, I urge that supplications and prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, everyone. Lots of prayers for lots of people. That's the rule. We want to be that kind of church. And so practically, guys, 9 o'clock on, Monday, on Sunday mornings, I encourage you to come. This is part of our role as ambassadors in the world. We pray on behalf of our world. And so I encourage you to get involved in that weekly rhythm and see it as a priority. And let's not lose sight of the spiritual power at work when we pray. Finally, I might invite the band up as I finish up on this one. We need to continue to lean into God's grace hard because we're going to fail at this hard. We need to lean into grace, God's grace hard because we're going to fail at this hard. This is a high calling and this feels crushing if you think that you could just walk out these doors after this and go and do this. You need the spirit of the living God in you to do this. And you need to rely on his grace every step of the way. You are not up to this task. But what is impossible with man is possible with Christ. We make such imperfect ambassadors. Our sin gets in the way. We don't actually live particularly consistent lives when it comes to these things. But here's the best part. We actually model the gospel when we show the world that it's not about how good we are. We actually model the gospel most powerfully to the world in our shortcomings. So right now, if you're feeling, man, this is way above me, no, no, no. God wants to show his power in you right now. That's how he's going to bring himself glory. So that's really clear that it's not about you or how awesome you are. About him and how awesome he is. So we make the best ambassadors when we acknowledge that we are very imperfect ambassadors. We are the best ambassadors where we look to his grace and not to our own confidence, our own ability to get this done. 
We never stop needing God's grace. We never stop running to the cross. And as you do, you're proclaiming to the world something pretty profound, right? It's not about us. It's about him. Let's pray. Lord, I confess that I lose sight of these things a lot. And I can get bored in my faith. I get bored in my faith when I get self-centered, self-absorbed with my own life. Everything's kind of about me. But Lord, when my eyes are lifted up to who you are, the maker of heaven and earth, when my eyes can see with clarity who I truly am, a sinner in need of grace, a child of God. Lord, in that moment, I'm ready to receive your calling upon my life to be an ambassador. So Lord, would you lift up our eyes to see who you are? Give us clarity to see our own hearts and our own failures. Help us to receive your calling with confidence and boldness, not with fear, not with trepidation that this is too much for us, Lord. Lord, like Peter, we, we've come to the end of ourselves. We know it's all of your grace. And so Holy Spirit, equip us for this task. Help us see that when we are weak, we are strong. That when we fail to live this out and we feel shame, Lord, that it is in running to the cross we show ourselves to be good ambassadors remodeling what it means to live by faith through grace for our King. So I just want to pray for everyone here today. For those who are yet to be reconciled, Lord, would you show them the beauty of life lived with you? The freedom of a life lived with you. The purpose of a life lived with you. For those of us who are, who are deeply bored of you, Lord, I pray that you would knock us off our whatever it is, Lord. Knock us out of our comfort zone. Lord, meet us again in power. Lord, I think of Isaiah in the temple in, in Isaiah 6. Coming to the temple for worship. And the last person he expected to see at, at the temple was you. <laughs> And Lord, when we come to church in the same way, sometimes we come to church to sing the songs and listen to a message, Lord, and we forget you are among us. You're here. You speak through your word. You bless us as we gather. So Lord, with the words spoken today, land on soft soil and produce a harvest. 50-fold, 100-fold, for your kingdom's sake. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, team.